One of my favorite words is shunpike. Someone who shunpikes avoids the highway for the pleasure of taking back roads. There's usually so much more to see on back roads, both people and landscape. I always try to shunpike. There's lots of shunpiking to be done in Maine, that's for sure, including Route 1, even though it's a state highway. There are parts of Route 1 where I totally feel like I'm shunpiking. Now, it's true, Route 1 can be busy, especially in the summer, but it's definitely not the interstate. And in a lot of places, especially the further east you go, Route 1 still has a back road feel to it. Take Searsport, for instance. It's a tiny town of about 2,500 people near Belfast. If you're headed down east to Bar Harbor and Acadia National Park, you'll probably drive through Searsport, but don't. Don't just drive through. Stop. The maritime history in Searsport is too good to miss. You'll picture and feel the history. I mean, it's in the air. Between the historic captain's houses that are now inns and graveyards with interesting headstone carvings and inscriptions of mariners lost at sea, and of course the Penobscot Marine Museum, Searsport is one of those places you find while shunpiking and you say, man, I'm glad I stopped here. You're listening to Salts and Water, stories from the main coast. Salts for salty people people connected to the ocean and maritime history, and water from Maine's classic coastline. Salts and Water is a production of Experience Maritime Maine. I'm Rob Rosenthal. I called up Charlene Ferris to schedule an interview during my visit to Searsport, and while we were talking, I said, I heard you're the unofficial historian for the town. And I said, oh no, I'm official. Charlene is official, all right. The selectmen of Searsport crowned her official historian at a town meeting which makes her the obvious person to drive me around so I can get a sense of the place, especially the maritime history. What street are we on? This is Steamboat Avenue, and this is the wharf where the steamboats came. That house back there was an inn. Charlene is 70 and a retired fifth grade teacher. She taught for 35 years, and she says she always made sure to talk about the history of Searsport in her classes. Because I think you ought to know something about where you grow up, as I said. And so I went to get the book on the history of Searsport. So because I couldn't find a book, I just had to write it myself. Well, actually, Charlene has written lots of articles about Searsport, but she hasn't written a book. Not yet, anyway. And she might not. She's not quite sure it's a good idea. In my um, research, I found three different people who apparently were attempting to write that, and they all died before they got it published. Um, So I always say that's three good reasons why I'm not going to. Now, this one up here with the red railing is now the funeral home parlor, whatever you want to call it. But that was a sea captain's house. And then the big one on the end, which is a bed and breakfast, was. I love that one. so pretty. Driving around, chatting about Searsport's maritime history and admiring all the sea captains' houses, I can't help but notice, no, not notice, I can't help but feel, actually feel Charlene's adoration for Searsport. On Main Street, Charlene pointed out the old brick storefronts where there used to be a cooper, a dry goods store, a candy store. Today, Main Street is quiet in comparison to what it once was, but Charlene knows every nook and cranny. What's the value of knowing about the history of where you live? Well, it kind of centers you, doesn't it? And it makes you feel like a, it's a belonging. I feel that way because I grew up here. See, there's a beautiful captain's house right there. You asked me how many. It's, that was an interesting question. I don't know the answer, but I'd like to. 
It almost doesn't matter how many there are. Captains' houses are everywhere in Searsport. You can tell by looking at them. How? By the size of them. Huge, stately homes, 150 years old and older. Two, three stories tall, a couple dozen rooms or more in some of the bigger ones. You can't miss them. Why so many captains' houses? Well, back in the 1870s, one-tenth of all the deep-water ship captains lived in Searsport. Now consider that for a second. In the late 1800s, one out of every 10 sea captains in the U.S. was from Searsport. Which, of course, prompts the question, why Searsport? Well, one reason is the port in Searsport. This is the second largest deep water port on the main coast. Portland is the largest, in case you were wondering. The deep water here was perfect for shipping goods like lumber and fish and produce and ice, and it still is. Out on Mack Point, salt and oil and even blades for wind turbines are shipped through here. Searsport is protected, too. It's in the upper reaches of Penobscot Bay. So the deep water and protected coastline also made Searsport a perfect location for building ships. Charlene brought me to Mossman Park down on the waterfront. Her arm flew. She pointed to this, she pointed to that. It was really hard to keep up with her. In one direction, she indicated where the first schooner was built back in 1824. At the far end of the park, she showed me a crescent-shaped beach that was once buzzing with shipbuilding. If you could go back to 1840 and stand here, you would see different sailing ships in different states of building from beginning to end and all the people rushing around and all the work and the hammers and the... It would be something to see. You ever wish you could beam yourself back to that? Yes, I wish I can't even finish the sentence. (laughs) (laughs) These days, looking at the cove, there's really not much to see of the town's shipbuilding past. We found a heavily rusted metal ring bolted to a rock, and if you walk around a bit on the shore, you might find a piling or two from an old wharf. To discover more substantial evidence of Searsport's maritime past... Head to the cemetery. Bowditch Cemetery is a really good one. This is Captain Bill Vos Park. He was born in 1850. No, he died in 1850 at the age of 31 years and four months. And it says, be ye also ready. Okay, so I'll admit it. I'm a little weird. I like walking around in graveyards. I feel like I can get a, a sense of place from the names and the inscriptions and the iconography. Well, fortunately, Faith and Don Gerald like walking around in cemeteries too. Oh, look at what's this one? Captain Blanchard. Lost at sea. December 6, 1870. Oh, yes, that's the Tavatora. That was quite one of the famous ones. Lost a lot of people, on, a lot of Searsport people, on passage from Trieste to Palamo. Several of the gravestones have schooners carved into them. They're really intricate. Faith says many stones are cut from slate that was originally used as ballast on ships. There's quite a few prominent seafaring families buried here. The Carvers, the Griffins, the McGilveries. And because Bowditch Cemetery was originally the family cemetery for the Pendletons, (laughs) there are a dizzying number of Pendletons buried here. John Pendleton, Peleg Pendleton, Green Pendleton, Henrietta, Eleonora, Rachel, there's even someone named Wealthy Pendleton. There's so many Pendletons, how do you keep track? Well, we don't. you don't. <laughs> the three of us are standing in front of a mausoleum built into the side of a hill. It's a large stone monument that, that um, Benjamin Franklin Pendleton built for his father, who didn't wish to be buried underground and always hoped he would die at sea so he could avoid that fate. And when he saw what his son had built for him, he said it would make a fine potato house. 
Faith and Don moved to Searsport in the early 1960s. And the people just took us in. They just absolutely took us in as family. Their affection for the town cemeteries came about by accident. Back in the early 1990s, Don was hired by the town to survey one of the cemeteries. Faith went with him to help, and they started reading the inscriptions on the gravestones. It seemed as if every other grave was a captain, which isn't quite true. And then we began to notice stones where the person isn't even there. He's buried at longitude, latitude, something out in the middle of the ocean, or he was lost off the coast of Madagascar, or, uh, and, and we just became interested. Interested is putting it mildly. They took it upon themselves, with help from the Cemetery Association, to record names, epitaphs, and the locations of every gravestone in all six town cemeteries. And not just hundreds of graves, thousands. Why do that? Because Searsport is what Searsport is today because of all these people. Because these people um, chose to break away from Belfast and Prospect and become Searsport. And they're, they're the people who created the town that we get to enjoy. Here's something interesting to know. Searsport is the only town in the United States named Searsport. Now, originally, residents thought the town should be called Mainport. Well, instead, the townspeople wanted to curry favor with David Sears. Sears was a wealthy Boston businessman who owned property nearby. So to get his attention, they named the town for him. According to Charlene, the town historian, Sears was honored by the naming, so he donated $1,000 for a new town hall. Well, unfortunately, Sears didn't like what was built. He snorted that it looked like a gunpowder house. He walked away and never made another donation to the town. That building is now part of the Penobscot Marine Museum in Searsport. And if maritime history and culture is your thing, well, then this is the place. I was psyched, so psyched, to be shown around the inner sanctum where the museum stores old photographs. And we have photographs of all the Searsport sea captains. If you give me one second. Kevin Johnson is the photo archivist for the museum. He pulls a family album off a shelf. The Pendletons, of course. There's one. Marietta and Andrew Pendleton. She's dressed to the nines. Some sort of silk dress, buttons all the way up to her neck. It's one of those (laughs) things that looks like if she could add more buttons to cover more, she would have. Right? Do you know what I mean? I do. Like, yeah. There's nothing comfortable at all. No, God. And he's in his Sunday best. Neither look particularly thrilled about having their photo made. People didn't really smile in pictures in the early days. It was um, a much more formal undertaking. This whole drawer are Searsport photos. We have a couple folders in here that have to do with Searsport's shipyards. So in this particular photo we're looking at a, a hull of a ship being constructed and the photo clearly shows how big of a vessel, a big schooner can be. Looks like 10 or 15 people working in the middle. But those guys who are working in the middle, they're, they're dwarfed by the ship. Like, they're, 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 they look minuscule. They're, they really do. Like, the ship, what is it, like two or three stories tall above them, like the ribs are? Exactly. Kevin says the museum owns some 200,000 images. It may be the largest main-focused photo collection in the state. It even includes tens of thousands of negatives that he painstakingly rescued from water damage. Images that not only reveal the lifestyle of the privileged, people like the Pendletons, but the harder side of life on the main coast. A boat 
totally encased in ice um, or you know piles of old traps and fish that are being cleaned by guys wearing oil skin um, overalls um, you can you can smell it you can feel it you can almost taste it and I do think they unleash our imagination frankly I think you could say that about the whole Penobscot Marine Museum. It unleashes your imagination. And not just the photos, the paintings and the furniture and the boat models and clothing and scrimshaw. There is so much to see here. And to top it off, everything is displayed in a well-preserved maritime village setting, including the town hall I mentioned. There's also a church and a barn full of old boats and two homes. And speaking of homes, as part of my stop in Searsport, I visited the A.V. Nichols Inn. We call this the ballroom, and we think this room was used as a storage area for when they would get ready to equip the ship with supplies. Shall we go to the front of the house? Let's go. Okay. Well, we're walking through the breakfast room. The A.V. and A.V. Nichols stands for Albert Vinyl, and you guessed it, he's a sea captain. I'm beginning to think, who wasn't a sea captain in Searsport? Nichols built this house in 1874. This is Captain Nichols' office, but it's... And the doors are original, so they stick a little bit sometimes. You may have noticed Brenda's slight southern accent. Brenda is originally from Virginia. And she's Brenda Liston, by the way. She owns the inn with her husband. They were visiting Maine in 2011. They drove by the inn, and they saw the for sale sign. Stop, stop, stop. We've got to stop here. We've got got to look at this. We'll just walk around. We won't, you know. Nothing but walking around. We both had careers. Before long, we had talked ourselves into this. This is what we needed to do next. There are 25 rooms at the inn. Brenda speculates the house may have been constructed by shipwrights. Does this feel like a ship to you? Yes, (laughs) it does, really, because it's long and narrow, uh, and it's turned into the wind, basically, off of the ocean. Nichols built this house for his wife, Elizabeth McGilvery. There's a widow's walk on the roof. It's about four stories up, and it offers a clear view of the water, though Elizabeth may not have used it much. She frequently sailed with Captain Nichols. In fact, she gave birth to five children at sea. That's another part of the seafaring life that most of us in the U.S. never even heard about because in most places we thought women never went to sea. But the women here in Searsport were pretty sturdy, I believe. Are they still sturdy? I, it seems to me that, like they are. They definitely um, have their own mind. <laughs> we're now back in the ladies' parlor what we think is the ladies' parlor. And the reason we think it is is because there's a secretary in here that's built into the wall. So I can just imagine Elizabeth sitting here in the mornings writing out her chores for the household help for the day or making lists of of supplies they needed to get ready to sail with Captain Nichols again. But it was here in the house. It's the only thing that was here when we bought it. And it's it's hers. It's it's part of them. I can just, I know they've touched it, and that makes me feel good to touch it too. Um, I don't like the word ghost very much, but if you're talking about the spirit of somebody still being in a house, then why not? Why not get in touch with it? Why not know that maybe your spirit will be a little bit intertwined with that spirit? I think that's it. That's the nugget right there. What, in part, defines Searsport and the people I met. A willingness to get in touch with the spirit of a place. Well, it kind of centers you, doesn't it? Searsport is what Searsport is today because of all these people. This whole drawer are Searsport photos, and I do think they unleash our imagination. So when you shun Pike to Searsport, bring your imagination. Picture the maritime history, like the shipyards down at Mossman Point. All kinds of noises and all kinds of smells. Tar, 
hand pounding of nails, um, people climbing up and down the mast to make sure everything was what it was supposed to be, um, people coming in carts to deliver things or pick things up, lots of kids running around when they weren't in school watching um, captains and their ladies or their friends. One more thing about Searsport, Sears Island. It's named for the guy who snorted at the town hall. He used to own the island. But anyway, you should visit Sears Island. There are some really good hiking trails there with excellent views of Penobscot Bay. Oh, and be sure to check out the many antique shops here. You might stumble across a great nautical find. And if all this isn't enough to convince you to shun pike to Searsport, there's Blue Jacket Ship Models. They're the oldest continuously operating ship modeling company in the U.S. I peeked in the back room once to see how the model parts are made. Crazy. Thanks for listening to Salt and Water, Stories from the Main Coast. It's a podcast from Experience Maritime Maine. If you're thinking of visiting the coast of Maine, then you need to see the website first, experiencemaritimemaine.org. I hope you'll check out more episodes of Salt and Water. I spent a day with a swashbuckling fishmonger in Portland. I disconnected from the world on a five-day sailing trip on a windjammer out of Rockland, and I saw a lot of whales in Eastport. Many thanks to Abby Levin for her production help. We had research help from the Penobscot Marine Museum. Music for Salts and Water is from Ketza. This podcast is sponsored by Maine Boats, Homes, and Harbors. I'm Rob Rosenthal.